We are excited about our uh, How They Do It series. Um, and so uh, the, the, what it really boils down to is Pastor myself, we're sitting down, getting ready for the series for this month. And, and how many guys are in a place in life right now, and maybe you've gone through some stuff recently, and you've been in a place that you're like, man, I just need some help. I need some God to show me something. I need something in my life. And uh, I just need God to show me anything. And uh, so we were talking, and I said, it would be great if we took uh, some stories from the Bible and we show, because I don't know about you, sometimes I read through the Bible and I'm like, yeah, that's great that they came through on the other side, but I need help getting through on the other side for me. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I'd, we talked and we said, it'd be awesome to do a series called How They Do It, where we went through and we just looked at how different people in the Bible got through their trials, but also take a story from uh, a different story each week from someone in the Transformation Church family, get their testimony and let you hear that as well. So you're gonna get to hear a different testimony each week throughout this month. Uh, last week we looked at Debbie. Uh, this week we're gonna look at a different group. Um, and because today we're talking about endurance. Turn to the person next to you and say endurance. endurance. All right, now turn to the person on the other side you just neglected and say endurance. That's right, that's right. And apologize. I'm sorry, you're my second choice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> In case you don't know, before we get into this, I am uh, Pastor Brad. I'm the associate pastor here at TC, and we are uh, we thank you so much for coming out there. Let's get straight into it. Take your notes out. You should have got those to, on the way in the door. We're going to go through those. Romans 5, 1 through 4 is kind of our theme verse. That's where everything is based on this whole series. Um, so we're going to jump straight in. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What does that mean? Therefore, since we who were born into sin and were distanced from God have been justified just as if we had never sinned, how are we justified? Through faith. Faith in what? Faith in what Jesus did on the cross. When we were in sin, Jesus paid a price that we could not pay to give us access to God. And so we have been justified through faith and now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And in many translations, you'll see that the, different, the other word for perseverance is endurance. That endurance produces character and character produces hope. All right, let's jump straight into it. We're going to look at a character in the Bible today. Some of you may have heard of, some of you may not, uh, but his name is Job. Right, not Job, Job. Right, some of you use that as an excuse to tell someone in your family to go get a job. The Bible says get a job. No, I'm just kidding. Totally different. Job's endurance. Let's get into it. I'm going to briefly kind of give you an overview of the story to not take so much time doing that. So what happens is there's a, in Job chapter one, um, the Lord is talking about it's a present day and uh, Satan, the enemy, has come before the Lord and the Lord says, what are you doing? And he says, I've been looking all over the world. Essentially, how many guys know the enemy is always up to no good? You know, how many of y'all got friends that are always up to no good? Like, they're like, you want to go out tonight? No. <laughs> Last time you got arrested. Twice. No, I'm just kidding. So, but he was, up to, he was up to no good as he usually is. And the Lord says, what have you been doing? I've been looking to and fro throughout the earth trying to find some, uh, someone or something to do, something I could tempt, etc." And the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And he says, who is this servant that you're talking about? He says, uh, he is a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. And, the, and Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? 
Have you not put a hedge around him? He was a very wealthy man. He had 10 children, a wife, a number of cattle. Uh, just he was, he was sitting right. You know what I mean? Like him and Bill Gates would have been sitting right here. You know what I mean? And so he, um, he comes to it. And so Satan says this to him. He says, but now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. This is Satan talking about Job towards God. He'll curse God to his face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself. In other words, you can't touch his body. On the man himself, you do not lay a finger. In other words, the Lord says, you can take everything he has, everything he owns, his job, his cattle, all that stuff. You can take all that away. You just can't touch him. And Satan's like, fine. And I like to picture it. You guys, if you've been to Transformation Church, you know how I read the Bible, right? So I imagine the Lord talking extreme smack right now during this whole scenario. <laughs> like, yeah, you think you're going to get him, but uh, Job is my dude, so you're wrong. But anyway, so that's how it is in my head, right? And so what happens is over the first chapter, Job loses everything. His cattle are gone. All of them have died. People, different people have come in and attacked, taken everything he owns. Essentially, he's down to nothing to the point that at the end of chapter one, his wife is like, you need to curse God and die. I don't know about you guys. Life has gotten bad, but it hadn't quite got that bad. You know what I mean? And so at the end of chapter one, Job is still holding on to hope, but his wife and everyone around him is like, hey, you need to give up on this whole deal because he obviously has forgotten about you. We wanna talk very briefly about Job, but then we're gonna talk about how endurance is in your life, all right? So the first thing we want you to understand on your notes is we want you to understand that Job was blameless. Job was blameless. Now, why does that matter for you? This is why it matters for you. I don't know about you guys, but there's been many times in my life where I was going through what I've been going through, and the very first thing I tell God is like, hey, what did I do? Like, what did I do wrong? Where did I miss this? How come I'm getting all of this? How come I'm going through these trials? How come I'm going through these problems? My very first thing, but what you have to understand, and we're going to move into the story of Job a little more. The first thing we have to understand is that Job was blameless. Job 1.1, the very first scripture. And I think God did this intentionally. He says this, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. I think God was giving us a look in to help you understand just because you go through something doesn't mean you're going through it because you were wrong, because you were evil, because you were doing bad things. Sometimes God has a plan. Actually, always God has a plan throughout everything you're going through. But understand that Job was blameless. We try to reason with God about our level of righteousness, about our feeling that we haven't done anything wrong to be in our current situation. But Job's reasons for trials weren't based on his unrighteousness. Listen to me. Job's reason for his trials were not based on his unrighteousness. Job's cause for trials were because of his righteousness. And so many of us try to level with God. I haven't done anything wrong. Why is this happening to me? Can I tell you something? Psalms 11.5 says that the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. Some translations say that he turns away from the wicked. So if you're righteous, he'll test you. And if you're wicked, he'll leave you alone. Then how can we use our righteousness, our perception of righteousness, if we're all honest, we ain't got a whole lot of righteousness to lean on, but we lean on our own deal. Like, I haven't done anything wrong. Why are you doing this to me? No, no, no. God is going to test those that are righteous. 
Number two, we want you to understand that Job was grieving. Job was grieving. Why did I put this in there? Because I think it is important for you to understand that in your trial, where you are, in what you're going through in life right now, do not buy into this hyper-faith message that if you say something wrong, then something's wrong. No, 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 something's wrong. We just help you out right now. People come around all the time, you know, with different situations we've gone through. When Tommy was in the hospital, Javen said, no, no, don't say he's sick because then he'll be sick. No, he's sick. Like, here's the report. Sick. Don't speak it. No, no. Because here's the deal. You can't pray for something that you ain't acknowledging is true. So acknowledge where you are. Acknowledge where God has you. Even if you feel like it's the enemy. No, no, God is in control, right? He's always in the circumstances. So acknowledge where you are so that God, you can start praying on where God is going to get you through it. But understand that it is okay for moments to grieve in your situation. You know, people tell us all the time, well, you just don't need to grieve about it. You know, whatever. It's like, well, you ain't going through it. So shut your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like, mind your business. I know some of y'all don't think that way, but that's where I am. So it is what it is. Job 3.11 says this. Why do, or he, he, he goes on to grieve in chapter 3. He says, why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. In other words, Job was like, I don't even know why I'm here. Life had gotten so bad that he was like, I, I should have just died when I was born. I did, nope, that should have been it. Right? In all honesty, he had a really good life. It starts going through a rough patch. So he was kind of sulking a little bit, but we're going to let it slide, you know? Why did, I, why did I not die at birth? Job is perplexed in his understanding that he shouldn't even be alive anymore. Life has gotten that bad. In other words, it's okay to grieve for a moment, but you got to put your faith in the person that's greater than your circumstances, all right? So Job was grieving. Number three, we want you to understand that Job was chosen. Job was chosen. Job 2, 2 through 6. We're going to read this block of text because I want you guys to grab a hold of something here. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? All right, so we saw in chapter 1, right? So chapter 1, Satan comes to God and God's like, hey, you need to check out Job. Like, you know, he's awesome and you're terrible and he's going to show you what's up. That's, a, that's my translation. That's the BLV version. You got to pick that up at Lifeway. Anyway, so... Satan, so this is in chapter two. It happens all over again. Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still, say that with me, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. I want to stop for a second and help you understand two things. Number one, God talks smack, right? Because the very first line, so he was saying, have you, he's awesome, he's blameless, he's upright, and he still shuts you down. That's essentially what God said. I just wanted you to see that. So if you're ever playing me and pastor in ping pong with your seven-year-old, you're going to know why we shut y'all down. <laughs> you have to get last week's sermon to understand that. Anyway, so... But God says, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him. In other words, though you convinced me to allow you to do this, 
and turn against him and allow you to ruin everything, ruin him without any reason. So Satan replies, he says, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will get all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. In other words, the Lord was like, all right, fine. Because Satan was saying, if you, start, if you touch his body, if you make him sick, if you start to do all that, he's going to curse you. And God's like, all right, fine, you can make him sick. You just can't kill him. Right? What we want you to understand is that the biggest lesson that we must learn about Job is that uh, he was never lost in his trials. As a matter of fact, Job was chosen for this trial. And what, the, what, what we want you to see for your trials is sometimes we're standing there going, God, why me? Why me? Have you forgot about me? How come you don't see me? How come you're not hearing my prayers? How come you're not turning your ear towards me? How, do you even care anymore? Are you even there? Are you even listening? God's like, I'm not only listening, I chose you for that. Sometimes we think we stumbled into this mess. God's like, no, 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 no. You were selected for the job. Now, I know some of us are like, would you stop selecting me? <laughs> right? Like, I don't believe in cursing other people, but I believe in sharing. And I would like to share some of this with that guy over there. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I know that that sometimes is, is where we're at. But we want you to understand that you were chosen. Job was chosen. So we think that because things are going our way in life, where, uh, where we want it to be, that God has forgotten about us. But has it ever occurred to you that you are in your trial going through what you're going through exactly where God wants you to be? We fight so hard to get out of the fire, but sometimes the fire is exactly where he wants us. A story about, uh, I've been listening to a lot of Platt lately, reading David Platt, and I really like reading him. He encourages me and depresses me all at the same time. If you ever read his book, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, um, but he was telling a story about two missionaries that went to, I think it was Uganda. I could be wrong. He sends people all over the world. Two missionaries went to Uganda. They found a unique tribe in the jungle there that were very hostile. And as soon as they engaged the tribe, they preached the gospel one time and they were immediately killed. It was a husband and a wife. And so about six months later, another group of people went to that exact same tribe preaching the gospel. And this time when the tribe heard the gospel the second time, they said, how did you know the people from before? And they said, we don't know any people from before. We've never, what are you talking about? And they said, the same thing you're telling us is the same thing they told us. And they spared their life. But not only did they spare their life, they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the whole entire tribe got saved. So here's my question to you. Was God not in control of the first missionaries that went? Or were they exactly where they needed to be? Was their call in their life to be the ones that would take the gospel to a place that so desperately needed it for the sake of their life? That's a big like, whoa, whoa. I wasn't quite ready for all that. Can we go back to the sharing thing, right? What I'm getting at is this. We can 
stay in our little bubble and everything can be fine. And maybe we take the gospel to a few people or God can use us and take us through whatever he's gonna take us through and push us to the limits of our endurance and make us lean on faith and trust him in mercy and trust him in grace. And at the end of the line, he's gonna use us and use our story for the sake of Jesus Christ being taken into a world that needs to hear about him. I know that might rock your world a little bit, but perhaps you were chosen for exactly what you're going through so that at the end of it, you can say, no, 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 I've been through it, but God is still good. The fourth thing we want you to know about Job is that God was watching. God was watching. And the understanding that we are chosen, we must recognize that God is always watching. How do we know? Take us back to Job 2, verse 3. God says this, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And this is the part that I want you to see. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him. In other words, what God is saying is, even though you took him through this, I was watching the whole time. And it doesn't matter. Sometimes we feel like God has distanced himself from us, that he's walked away from us, that he doesn't see us where we are. He doesn't hear our prayer. In fact, God is actually watching the whole time, even to the degree that he would talk some smack to the enemy about us. Like I told you, told you he wasn't going to shun you. I told you he wasn't going to leave you. I told you she wasn't going to turn away from me. No, 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 no. She's mine. He's mine. I'm in control of all things. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. In other words, that moment that you feel doubt into your mind that God no longer cares about you, he doesn't see you right where you are, let that be the thing that triggers this scripture. You say, no, 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 God watches all my ways. And it's just the analogy we've used so many times. We wanna know why the teacher's not talking during the test, but the teacher never talks during the test, but he also never leaves the room. He's not gonna give you the answers. It's a test. He ain't gonna help you cheat. It's a test. But rest assured, the teacher is in the room. You're always under God's watchful eye. So how does that work for us? So the story of Job, he goes through all of this. Uh, his wife tells him to curse God and die. He had 10 wayward children. They were already nuts to begin with. All you parents with nutty children know exactly what that feels like. You know what I'm saying? So his wife, gone. Wayward children, they were already gone long before any of this started. He had lost everything to the point that he was sitting against a wall with boils covering his body, scraping his body with broken pottery. That's how low it got for Job. But by the end of the story, not only had God restored everything back to him, he had given him so much more than what he ever lost. But Job had to hold on to endurance. Turn to the person next to you and say endurance. Job held to endurance. So what is your endurance going to require? We want to go over a few things to help you understand your endurance. Number one, we want you to understand that your endurance is going to push your limits. Your endurance is going to push your limits. 
You are going to reach a breaking point. You are going to run out of your ability. You are going to have to lean on grace and you are gonna find yourself in a place that you have to connect with God. In other words, you can do you for a little while, but eventually you're gonna have to tap into a source, a strength that's greater than yours. The woman with the issue of blood in Luke 8, and it was in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels talk about the woman with the issue of blood. And if you never heard the story, she had been bleeding for years and years and years, and she could not stop. She was weak. She was frail. And in that time frame, because of that, she also could not interact with anyone. So she was completely abandoned. She was completely weak. And as you can imagine, that was taking a toll on her. She hears about Jesus coming to town, so she says, I need to get there. And a lot of teachings and a lot of trans. Translations say that she fought through the crowds and got to a place where she touched the hem of his garment and the power of God through Christ healed her right then and there. But here's what I want you to understand. I was doing some study and when I was in Israel, they taught us about this and I was like, mind blown. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, wow. But they were telling us that the translation says she touched the hem of his garment, but the reality is she didn't touch the hem of his garment on the garments that they would wear, there were four corners. In each corner, they would put a tassel. And that tassel, the long and short of it is, that tassel represented their direct connection with God in the Old Testament. She didn't touch the hem, she touched the tassel. In other words, the woman who needed a miracle found a way to touch Jesus' direct connection to the all-seeing eye of God. There is going to come a time in your life where you've done all you can do, where you've prayed all you can pray, where you've said all you can say, you've done all you can humanly do possible. And there's going to come a time where you have to tap into and touch the eye of the all seeing God in heaven above and allow him to work and minister to you and through you to get you exactly where you need to be in your situation. But endurance pushes your limits. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 says, Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. And we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And, and Paul is the man here. But I don't know about you guys, I've been in a place where I, it felt, felt like everything in my life was caving in on me, that everything that I thought was right, the Lord is just showing me and allowing things to happen in my life where I feel like, man, I, I don't even know what life is anymore. The world is caving in on me. Troubles are caving in on me. Trials and tribulations are caving in on me. But the Lord says, or Paul says, but we're not crushed. And you may feel like you, so much is going on in your life that you can't even breathe. But Paul says, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. And we're struck down. We may have been hit. We may have been knocked down. We may be a little dizzy from what life has thrown at us, but we're not destroyed. Have to tap into what God can provide you with. Secondly, we want you to understand that endurance is tested in time. Endurance is tested in time. See, we want little short seasons of trials in our life. Like we want brief tribulations. But the reality is that Paul and all the other writers of the New Testament understood one thing. If you look at the New Testament, Paul and the other writers of the Gospels and everything else spent more time telling us as Christians to be prepared for persecution and trials than he did telling us to actually go out and preach the gospel. 
So us as believers, he's like, hey, things are going to get bad. Like, just so you know. And don't get me wrong. My worst day with God is still better than my best day without him. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm not trying to tell you like, hey, be sorrowful when you get saved. No, 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 no. I'm just telling you that lie that people tell you like, as soon as you get saved, everything is fine. I'm like, um, that's a lie. That whole thing, what they just said, that's a lie. Don't believe them. Because we still go through things. We still have to fight. We still go through trials. But the thing is, is that our endurance is tested in time. I, 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 could, I don't like to run particularly at all. <laughs> Ever. For any reason. But I could run from here to this parking lot. You know what I'm saying? But I could not run from here to my house. Or across the street or something. You know, like... There are limit. What I'm getting at is there are limitations to what, to what I can do. Why? Because I haven't built up endurance over time to be able to do that. Now, Dave, God bless him. He can run like 462 miles or something crazy in a triathlon, whatever, man. Those people that are like, I want to go running because that's fun. I'm like, no. <laughs> right? Like, there's no part. My buddy Carl's like, yeah, dude, I, can, I just enjoy it. I'm like, yeah, you're full of crap, man. I don't believe you. So... But my, the thing is, I could get to a point that I could do those things. But how many guys know I'm not running a marathon tomorrow, right? Or next month or next year or ever. <laughs> Why? But I couldn't do it tomorrow because I haven't built up that endurance yet. Some of us want to be superheroes of faith, but we haven't built up the endurance to get through the test of time. We want to be God's greatest missionary. We want to go out. We want to touch the world. We want to be able to get through anything and lean on God. But the thing is, we got to get through what we're going through right now and be able to lean on God. Endurance is tested in time. Why did the apostles say this? Because they understood this one thing, that our suffering, what we're going through, our trials and our tribulations, that produces the endurance and that, that endurance will produce the character, the thing inside of us that will enable us to preach about the hope. In other words, Christ in you, allowing you to go through what you're going through is going to give you the character. It's going to give you the integrity. It's going to give you the grace to be able to now take hope to the world that needs to hear about it. I'll give you more of that in a second. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. all right. Now, I want to help you out for a second because some people that don't know who wrote this would be like, yeah, no wonder. That dude's just going through light and momentary troubles. This is Paul. Now, after Paul killed Christians, got knocked off a horse, blinded for three days by Jesus in a radical life-changing situation, he was then shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, uh, threatened to die, thrown in prison. That was the guy we're talking about right now, okay? So after going through all of that, he's still saying, but look, man, our light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the eternal glory that awaits us. In other words, get through it, man. Get, just get through it. Put your hope in Christ and push and push and push and lean on grace and allow God to get you through exactly what you're going through. Why? Because there's an eternal glory that awaits us Amen. at the end of this thing. Keep pushing, man. Allow God to work through you. Thirdly, endurance tests your faith. 
Endurance tests your faith. There is going to come a time in your life where you will have the conversation, is this real? I don't think I've ever doubted this before with the situation with Jabin, my son, or Tommy's situation, but I can promise you there was a moment in my time, probably very early in my Christianity, where I was like, am I really going to believe in this? Like, am I really going to, like, do I really buy that God is watching everything and is in control of everything? And it didn't take me long to go, absolutely. I believe in the God who created the universe. I believe in Jesus Christ who paid a price for me on the cross that I could never pay for myself. I believe that God is in control of all things and I trust him. I may not understand everything I'm going through, but I trust him. Because endurance tests your faith. But here's the idea behind that. And you can write this down. I would encourage you to write this down. Remember it. The gospel proclamation requires authenticity. I'll explain that in a second. The gospel proclamation requires authenticity. What do you mean by that? Don't come to me and preach to me about a Jesus that you've never had to lean on to get you through something. The world around you wants to see you cling to hope as you go through a trial before you try to help them get through theirs. You ever had someone try to sell you something they didn't believe in? Yeah. Like, hey, watch this. That'll get all the spots out of your carpet. And then, like, they put a spot on your carpet, didn't clean the spot, and now you're left with a spot and paid money for no cleaner that don't work. Okay. Are those annoying people in the mall? Like, no, I don't want to buy curling iron. Do you see my hair? <laughs> try to sell you something. You, you don't even believe in that. You don't even have hair. How are you going to sell me a curling iron? Anyways. Here's another analogy I could help you out with. Uh, I remember hearing a story about Banning Leapshire. He went on a missions trip and his, they were in China, I think, or somewhere. And his buddy comes running up to him. He's like, yo, I got a Rolex for $10. Right, exactly. All y'all are already with me. Like, you can get a Ferrari for 20, right? Whatever. No, I got a Rolex for $10. And he was like, right. How many guys know two weeks later that Rolex, the springs were falling out of it, the battery, you know, the, the minute and second hand were just hanging at the bottom, you know, like it didn't work anymore? Why? Because it ain't worth having if it didn't cost you something. Can I tell you something? You can't take the gospel to a hurting world if you've never had to lean on the gospel in a hurting moment. So the gospel proclamation requires authenticity. You want to be effective for the Lord? Cling to the Lord while you're going through what you're going through right now. And the world will hear what you have to say. Because they watched you do it. Some of the people at your jobs right now, you're, going, you're coming into work every day, sulking, you're depressed, you're all angry all the time because life is so bad. And then you want to try to preach to people, you need to know about this Jesus. They're like, look, bro, whatever you got, I don't want it. <laughs> I'm just being real. Like, so, I've seen some of y'all at work before. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. So anyway, so, but you need to change, you got to lean on the Lord in your trials so that whenever you're through it and you come across someone else, you can tell them, no, 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 this is what you, Jesus can get you. You want to know why? Because Jesus is always watching. You can grieve. Yeah, that's fine. You might be blameless. Yeah, that's fine. But guess what? God is always watching and he chose you for this. You want to know how I know? Because God chose me to go through what I went through so that I could speak this into your life. Endurance tests your faith. First Peter 1, 
6 and 7 says that this means tremendous joy to you. I know, even though you were temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials and tribulations, anyone, 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 temporarily harassed, trials and tribulations? Yes, put my name on that list, right? This is no accident. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. See, the problem is that many of us forget that just because we can't see the next chapter in our book, we automatically think that it's the end of our book. We think that it's over right now. God just, he doesn't see me. He doesn't hear me. This must be the end. I'm never gonna get through this. I don't know what's gonna happen after this. This must be, it's all over right now. God's like, man, this is just one chapter. I still got the whole rest of the book to write. Can I tell you something? God always wins at the end of a book. If you don't believe me, try Revelation. You know what I'm saying? He always wins at the end of the book. But the other thing I want you to understand is don't allow yourself, and some of you have heard this before, but don't allow yourself to put a period where God wants to put a comma. In your life, you're sitting there going, man, it's over. I'm never gonna get through this. I don't see how this could possibly change. I don't see where God's gonna come through for us at all. It's over, period. And God's like, no, 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 comma. Yeah, it looks like it's over. It looks like it's bad. But the thing is, God wants to put a comma, a conjunction. In other words, there's more coming at the end of your sentence. God's just going to write it for you. So he's going to say, yeah, it doesn't look good. It looks incredibly bad. You don't know how you're going to get through this comma. But my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. It doesn't look good. You don't know how you're going to get through this comma. But I am the alpha and the omega. The whole world revolves at my words. In other words, don't allow your circumstances to dictate how you view God. Because he can always come through and he can do it without your permission. Which brings us to our fourth point. Endurance ensures a proper view of God. A proper view of God. What do you mean by that? Well, we started going through you know, in our particular situation where we are right now, for those of you that are new, maybe you don't know, my son is sick with a uh, degenerative brain disease and the long and short of it is outside of a miracle or outside of a medical breakthrough, which I would still consider that a miracle. They're saying he's not gonna live much longer. Um, Again, we're trusted in the comma thing. You know, the medical field says it's done, comma, but, but God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So we believe in that. But here's what, I want you to, here's what I want you to understand, though, is in mercy, he's going to heal my son, or in mercy, he's going to sustain my wife and I in the loss of our son. But he's still good. But here's the deal. I spoke in front of motorcyclists yesterday, and we've seen countless people come to Christ through my son being sick. So we can sit here and beg God to get us out of this, or we can trust, I'm going to hold my son in eternity, whether he heals him on this earth, and we have years to go, and then we get to heaven, and we celebrate there, whether he takes him home, and I hold him when I get there. It doesn't change the fact, uh, I'm going to hold him for eternity, but guess what? What we go through today dictates how the gospel gets promoted out there. And I'm not telling you I'm happy about it. Listen, there are days I wake up, probably like many of you, I'm ready to flip tables and beds and mattresses and burn this whole thing to the ground. You know what I'm saying? 
But if it takes that for the world to hear the gospel, then I trust him. But endurance has to change your view of God. Because if you only see God through your eyes and you can't see him through the gospel, you'll always wonder why without ever seeing what the Lord is doing in you and through you. I want to show you a story about uh, <clears throat> two people in our church that are very close to me. Um, and I definitely think that their story tells a lot about endurance. So have a look. Go ahead, guys. Me and Tommy, we fought like, we fought, we fist fought a lot. We did not get along growing up. About 22 years ago, um, I was 10 at the time. Um, my mother and my little brother and little sister were murdered by um, a family friend of ours that I grown up with and my dad was he worked out of seas um, for months at a time so it caused us to actually live house to house kind of like we were in foster care but not in the system and at that time Tommy was um, best friends with Brad they lived down the street from us their family heard about us and the situation we were in and asked us um, if we would like to come live with them temporarily for a month or so until we could find a place um, to live. And it ended up being uh, forever. September will be seven years ago. Um, they were just like, boom, the news of your dad is in stage four cancer. and basically told us he only had six months to live. It seemed like I just lost my mother, my sister, and my brother, and getting dropped that news, I was like, why is this happening again? In my dad's last days, I was able to pray with him. I was able to lead him to the Lord. I know that one day I will be able to see my dad in heaven when I get there. I could not have gone through this journey without Tommy by my side because we have, we, we've been each other's rock. To tell you the truth, with Tommy's accident, when I got that call, my, my heart literally dropped. I was like, Lord, why everyone in my family is leaving me? I remember when we were allowed to go in and see Tommy and just how he looked. He did not look like himself at all. That's when the doctors sat down and met with all of us um, in a room and was like, you, 
you need to think about donating your your brother's organs and turning him off. And at that time, I was like, no, I'm not ready. In my heart, that's what I was thinking. I'm not ready to let him go. The best news ever was when they said that the doctors went in and pinched Tommy on the chest and him reaching out and grabbing the doctor's hands. That was the best news. That was the best news ever. <laughs> I thought, why, why in the world this happened to me? I, I, I question God. Why, why, why you choose me? I, I would, I would not take, take it bad back for one moment because I don't know how many people got saved through my journey or, or was touched by my story. I am honored and grateful for him to choose me in this journey. I was going to see if it plays the other part at the end. Is it going to play? No. They turned it off already. It's all good. <laughs> but um, we'll close out with this. Bob Sorge has a video that I saw. And the person <clears throat> on the video said, um, I was asking them a question. They said, can you show me a God of mercy in the book of Job? And Bob Sorge said, yeah, I think I can. And he told his own story, but I'm going to kind of just give you ours instead. You ask yourself, could you find a God of mercy in the story of Cindy and Tommy? And I would tell you, yeah, I think I can. You see, a lot of times we would look at that and say, God, how would you just let someone just continually go through all of that? How could you let God, how, how could you just let that happen? And my response to that would be, before Cindy and Tommy came to our house, before their mom was killed, before all that, you know, they were Buddhist. And if you ask them, they'll tell you, like, we didn't believe in Jesus and we weren't going to heaven. God could have left them alone. God could have left them where they were. God could have allowed them to have their home, live their life and end up wherever they ended up. Chances are without God. Or God could have interrupted their journey and brought them through something that many of us can't even fathom. We couldn't fathom losing one of our family members, let alone in the tragedy in the way that it happened. And then at the end of that, to get through that, find Christ and then get the news that her father had cancer. Talk about a blow, you know. 
Then Cindy gets to lead her father to the Lord in the hospital. God could have left him alone, could have left him in that journey, but he extended mercy. And then Tommy's goofy self goes and gets in a motorcycle wreck. <laughs> so Tommy, Tommy gets in a wreck and it wasn't a big deal to Tommy. He doesn't remember any of it. But I remember watching Cindy and I remember praying on behalf of Cindy, God, you can't put her through this again. Talk about endurance. Many of us wouldn't have made it through the first one. She's on the third. God could have left Tommy alone. And you know what? Tommy probably would have been fine. The other two, we're talking about salvation. But with Tommy, we're talking about he could have left Tommy alone. Tommy would have went to heaven. No big deal. Right? Or Tommy, God could have let Tommy and Cindy go through that last phase of their trial in life. And through that, Watch Tommy's story touch a world with the hope of Jesus Christ. Because of Tommy's accident, we've seen hundreds and probably thousands of people come to know Christ. Because the very first thing he does when he meets you is show you his video on his phone. Hi, I'm Tommy. Watch my video. So it's... So countless of people have heard the gospel. Why? Because he allowed them too. I would say us as a family, but it certainly impacted Cindy more than it impacted any of us. He allowed them to go through some endurance, to put them through trials and tribulations and to extend mercy in their deepest, darkest hour so that they could take the hope that was instilled in them because they developed character in their trials, because they went through the endurance, because they had faith in a God that would never leave them. Close your eyes in this place with us today. Many of you in life right now are kind of finding yourself at a place where you, uh, you're just saying like, God, I, I'm just tired. I see how you're testing me. I see how the trials are working in my life to try to take me to a better place, but I just need strength right now. I just need peace right now. I just need to hear from you right now. I need to touch the tassel. I need to connect to God right now. I just need you to breathe some peace into my life. And we just wanna pray for you for just a second. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, I need you to reach out right where I'm at and breathe some peace into my life. You can raise your hand, it's okay. We want to pray for you. God, we just speak peace right now into every person's life, Lord, and mercy. God, that you would they you would help them recognize, God, that not only are they not forgotten, not only have they not stepped outside of where you see them, they are in fact exactly where you have them. God, I pray that you would extend your mercy and your grace to them in a way that they could feel you walking them through every single part of their life. You have not abandoned us. You have not forsaken us. You've merely chosen us for a time such as this. And although we don't like it, although we're not happy about it, we trust you and we love you. While your eyes are still closed, some of you 
maybe days up until now, or maybe just since you've walked into this room today. We've sang about Jesus. We've talked about Jesus. We've told you how our faith and the only way we can get through these trials is in Jesus. And some of you are trying to get through trials, but you don't have Jesus. The reason Tommy and Cindy went through what they went through, the reason Joe went through what he went through, the reason I'm going through what I'm going through is so that we can declare the gospel in the midst of pain. That Jesus died on the cross because we were all in sin. He died on the cross and in his death on the cross paid a price that we could never pay so that we could now have access to God. We can now have access to eternal life. We can have access to heaven but your faith has to be in Christ. And maybe you've been feeling God tug on your heart from days up until now, or again, maybe just since you've walked in this door, but you're at a place right now and you say, I need to give my my heart to God. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I need to surrender myself right now. I want him to take control of my life and I want to follow him. I want to be saved and I want to go after God with everything that I have. If that's you today and God is right now in a place where he's tugging on your heart and you say, I want to be saved, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I want Jesus to take control of my life. God bless you. you can, once you put it up, you can put it down. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. God bless you. Once you raise it, you can put it down. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer. And as you pray this prayer, this prayer doesn't make you saved. Your faith in Jesus Christ makes you saved. But we want to make a public proclamation that we're going to follow after Jesus. We're repenting of who we used to be. We want God to take control. Right now, pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, say it like you mean it. Dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me pure. Make me clean. Your death paid a price for me. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose three days later. Allow your grace to extend to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, push together, hands together for all this. I'm going to pray that for the very first time.